1: And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
2: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
1: Nice
0: dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt.
2: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy, and each week. You tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is the Aftermath. the Aftermath. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Aftermath. Today we're speaking with guest expert Shaylendra Jane. Professor Jane is a Brett Wheat Endowed Professor of Marketing and International Business at the University of Washington Foster School of Business. Let's hear what he has to say about the Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial. Hi, Shelley. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me, Rebecca.
2: <laughs> so c- can you walk us through the general process of creating a campaign for a large brand? Uh, wh- where do companies even begin?
0: Yeah. So uh, companies usually experience the need for advertising in one or more of the following situations. It could be a new product launch. It could be a new marketing strategy for an existing product because they feel it is time to do something different for the product or the brand. It could be a competitive situation, which is triggering a response from the company. They have to do something because competition has done something and that competition's actions have somehow caused the company to take note. Or it could be a more opportunistic kind of a situation. For instance, there is a major event, a sporting event, uh, something which is big time newsworthy, or something that the company did, which is creating trouble for the company, like what we call a brand transgression that needs addressing. Uh, Or there could be simple announcements. Sometimes companies may need to make an announcement that uh, we are changing our corporate name or we have hired uh, somebody as the chief marketing officer or the chief executive officer, something of that kind. So come, or we have entered into collaboration with another company in another part of the world. So there could be multiple reasons which could precipitate the need for an advertising campaign. Once such a need is felt, the company will then engage either an advertising firm to help create the campaign decide on a budget, choose media, release the campaign and monitor it. But increasingly, large companies are using a hybrid model. And the hybrid model entails part of the advertising communications is done by an outside advertising firm or firms. Part of it is done in-house by companies.
2: And what is the purpose of focus groups? How, How are they used and how do they drive the direction that campaigns take in and how companies decide uh, how to advertise their product
0: so there is a practice and there is the ideal I will tell you what focus groups should be used ideally for unfortunately that's not how some companies use them Focus groups are ideal or for exploratory research purposes so if you have an intuition you have a sense you want to figure out what if, where is the wind blowing so to speak? you can organize a few focus groups and you will get a sense from the respondents that this is what I think is going on. Focus groups should not be used for confirmatory research purposes. So in other words, a focus group is really good to generate hypotheses. I think these are seven or eight possible explanations for what we are experiencing vis-a-vis our brand. That's a good thing for focus groups to communicate or tell you. After that, you should do a large-scale survey to figure out which of these hypotheses is the most noteworthy for you to act upon. What companies sometimes do is in the process of saving time and money, they use focus groups to make confirmatory conclusions. They draw conclusions from focus groups. For instance, they will show some ads which they are thinking of releasing to a small group of respondents across five, six, seven focus groups And based on those responses, they will say, "Yay, the ad is doing great or no, the ad is not doing great. That is not why folks groups are how they should be used.
2: I see. So one uh, one, in one version, they would be used before the fact, before the campaign is created. And it informs how you approach the campaign versus uh, just after it's all said and done, it's been done and deciding whether they should continue with the campaign or just take it off the air.
0: Yeah, so focus groups can be used before and after the campaign. Before is to see whether the campaign has traction, and after is what were the good things and bad things about the campaign. However, once the campaign is released in today's day and, day and age, presumably there's a lot more information that is immediately communicated about what might be good or bad about the campaign, social media posts and blogs and podcasts and you know online reports and stuff like that. So I don't know... Um, uh, how much our focus groups used today post hoc but they are used a priori but again they should be used for exploratory research purposes not for confirmatory research purposes
2: now we've read mm-hmm. that this campaign the pepsi campaign was created by the company's in-house advertising team and why why do i why do brands decide to stay in-house versus Uh, bring an outside uh, advertising firm? What what are some of the pros and cons of doing this?
0: Right. So some of the pros of doing something in-house, something of this kind in-house, one is cost saving. You know, you are saving some money because with an ad agency, maybe there are more costs. The other is control. You are in control of the creative process. You can rotate and train talent. So if I'm working in sales as an employee of the company, the company decides I need to get exposure to the creative process and they will bring me and put me in the in-house advertising agency and I will get exposure to the creative process. So control and training talent. Then for a company like PepsiCo, which is a huge conglomerate, it has, I think, 70, 80 brands, working in-house reduces the complexity of working with too many ad firms. So typically a firm like Pepsi has probably 30, 40 ad firms which are handling these brands. Managing so many ad firms and coordinating with these ad firms is a huge task. So having an in-house creative setup could reduce that complexity. Mm -hmm. Then uh, from the ad firm's perspective, believe it or not, ironically, if the company has an in-house creative agency, then the external ad firm can potentially have a protagonist with the creative uh, in-house agency, because the ad firm will have this creative in-house agency really supporting the whole creative process rather than the ad firm having to do it in a very heavy-handed manner, independent of that in-house creative input. Also, many times these in-house creative outfits have unique skills which ad firms may not possess because of their resource constraint or so on. And today's environment is very complex. Ad- advertising agencies do not have all the skill sets needed to communicate in such a complex environment. So, those are the pros of creating an in house outfit. The cons are that a large advertising firm is working with multiple clients. And therefore, they may have better negotiating power with media buyouts. So if they are purchasing spots or advertising on, let's say, just for the sake of understanding, CNN or Fox or whatever, then they can do it in aggregate across 100 clients. And the media channel will offer them a discount. This may not be possible with an in-house credit agency. Also, sometimes large firms, large advertising firms, because of their experience over decades, Right. They may have developed unique skill sets dealing with specific product categories. (laughs) And, uh, uh, yeah, so those are the pros and the cons, I think, which are associated with in-house creative outfits versus external advertising firms.
2: Now, in terms of this particular campaign, how do you think the choice to stay in-house affected it?
0: Mm -hmm. To be honest with you, I think uh, uh, we can make the case one way or the other, to be perfectly honest. I don't know the precise details. But simply because it was an in-house campaign, I will not use that as causal in making the campaign good or bad. Campaigns can be good or bad even with external ad firms creating campaigns, right? So in-house firms probably could be just as successful or not as successful in creating Advertising campaign. So I don't really know if you want to stretch the argument. It is possible that there was some kind of groupthink. You know, the the firm is Pepsi. The in-house creative outfit is owned by Pepsi. They are all Pepsi people. They are all thinking pretty much along the same lines. There is not a lot of devil's advocacy that's going on. So people are not critical of the efforts. I'm not sure of that at all. I'm speculating here. But that probably is the extreme argument we can make against the in-house nature of the campaign.
2: Now, <clears throat> why, why do you find that brands <clears throat> align themselves with social justice movements? Is, is this a new phenomenon? Or uh, ha- have, have you seen this trend in that direction more?
0: Yeah. So uh, the companies, let me talk in the abstract. Let me talk in general. So companies use brand positioning strategies to guide what we call brand associations. They want to build associations with brands, which enable them to make a persuasive, compelling case with consumers to consider purchasing those brands. Now, one of these associations may be the brand endorsing a specific kind of a social justice movement. For instance, Ben & Jerry's, which is an ice cream brand, has strong and carefully built associations across a spectrum of social justice movement. Nike has also pursued a similar strategy of building social justice-based brand associations. So it's not new, this phenomenon is not new. But there may be a trend in the direction of what we call purpose-based brand associations. What is a brand's purpose? Beyond simply making the consumer feel good, look beautiful, lead a happy and prosperous life and making the company make money, some brands are trying to make customers and the world feel that they're contributing to the larger social good. So that is what we call purpose-based brand associations. Patagonia is a classic example of a brand which has built, I think, authentic associations of sustainability. And so this is the nature of the trend, which I think is going on. Dove has also, Dove Soap, has built associations around helping women feel beautiful just as they are. Not because they are of a certain body type, a certain complexion or whatever. They are really trying to communicate to women that you are powerful, you're beautiful just the way you are. So these are purpose-based brand associations. And I don't think it is new. It has been there for a very, very long time. But we have started understanding their power relatively more recently.
1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombuscom
2: slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: Ready to start
2: talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash Acast. That's greenlight.com
1: slash Acast. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all
2: And how does a, a brand decide or or choose a, a spokesperson for their company?
0: Sure, sure. So a brand chooses a spokesperson. The spokesperson could be a celebrity or an influencer, and they could be the choice. Could be based on several considerations. First, of course, is the brand's intended positioning, which is the classic starting point. So, how does the brand want its target customers to perceive it? What kind of judgments? does it want the customers to make about it? What types of associations it wants to engender in the minds of the customers? That's the starting point. Then the other considerations are how well does the spokesperson fit with the brand's target audience and intended positioning? Uh, The third is the spokesperson popularity, reach, expertise, likability, credibility. All these factors are important. And so fourth or fifth is the cost of hiring the spokesperson, their availability, and some other related considerations. So there are a bunch of factors that brands use in deciding what kind of a spokesperson to retain.
2: How involved would Kendall Jenner and her team have been with the creation of this campaign in particular?
0: So based on my research, I understand this is from, I believe, Kendall Jenner's firsthand account, that he was apparently not involved in the creation of the campaign at all. Uh, to make a judgment about this lack of involvement, I think, and I'm being guarded about it, this may well have been a misstep by both Kendall Jenner as well as Pepsi. Kendall Jenner, very very famous influencer, uh, her involvement in the her lack of involvement in the commercial is quite surprising. Uh, I think she surely understands that the association she has with a brand or a commercial affects her associations as a spokesperson. So I'm sure she understands that. And Pepsi's link with Kendall Jenner affects Pepsi's associations or perception. So in my opinion, both should have been deeply involved in the creative process. In addition to Kendall Jenner's lack of involvement I'm not sure the extent to which Pepsi pre-tested the commercial. If they did not, I think that was a serious misstep.
2: Do you find or think that a lack of diversity among top executives creates a blind spot for companies, uh, particularly when they're coming up with um, advertising campaigns?
0: It may. It may, we all come with our biases that we accumulate over a lifetime. So for a campaign like this, uh, which is the Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial, which purports to be a multicultural and be aimed at evoking a sense of unity among a diverse group of people, some might say that diversity among top decision makers was crucial. So it can potentially have an effect on the nature of the campaign, if there is lack of diversity.
2: Now, is, the, is there s- no such thing these days as bad press? Uh, why, why do companies like Pepsi not seem to really get hurt by any of the backlash that they receive when a campaign goes sour?
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, there are multiple reasons why Uh, Pepsi did not experience a more serious backlash for this particular campaign. First, Pepsi is a strong brand with a customer relationship nurtured over decades. So that serves as a cushion. If it was a weaker brand, all bets are off. Second, it is important to understand how serious was the transgression that Pepsi made with this commercial? Was it very serious or was it not very serious? So as an example, let's think about some other transgressions. You might have heard of the Boeing MAX 737 crashes in 2019, that they were terrible crashes. And that's basically a life and death transgression. Volkswagen, Volkswagen was associated with what has been known as Dieselgate, where apparently there was some software that the company had installed, which misrepresented the emissions So these are perceived to be very serious transgressions. So the seriousness of the transgression will predict the extent to which the company will have to face a backlash. So my guess, this is empirically to be be determined empirically. My guess is perhaps if the Kendall Jenner commercials, the communication was perceived to be a transgression, may not be as serious. It could be moderately or even minorly severe. Uh Betsy's response was relatively quick response to the backlash. They withdrew the commercial very, very quickly. And uh, let's assume hypothetically that they had taken some time to withdraw it, or they had pushed back and resisted and said, no, 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 we think this is a great commercial. We mean well and so on and so forth. We don't know the extent of damage the brand would have had to suffer. So I think the quick response on the part of the company is crucial. Fourth, In addition to withdrawing the commercial, I think it'll be useful to find out what other steps the company took which might have minimized the damage. I don't know exactly what Pepsi did. In many many instances, and I'll give you an example, the company apologizes with sincerity, and such an apology can help. So Starbucks had this incident in Philadelphia where two customers who were Blacks were asked to leave. The, the coffee, the re, the, the outlet. Uh, and Starbucks CEO, I believe apologized six times in public for what the world believed to be a transgression. And then Starbucks did many other things which were absolutely terrific, which enabled the brand to not face a more serious backlash. So there are multiple reasons which could be responsible for the extent to which the brand faces a backlash or not. And by the way, for what it's worth, Boeing's situation, Boeing's transgression, and Volkswagen—they both have cost the companies between twenty-five to thirty billion dollars each till date. So yeah, the bad press is there, and it depends on multiple factors.
2: So we 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 like to ask all of our guest experts this question: At the end of the day, if you had to pick a person or thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for the debacle that was Kendall Jenner's Pepsi commercial? Who or what would that be?
0: This is a very tricky question. And uh, Mm -hmm. uh, so I just want to put Kendall Jenner's commercial in a little bit of context. Pepsi had used Nicki Minaj in 2012 to create a campaign which was called Now in a Moment. And it had a sort of similar touch and feel to it. There were young people drinking Pepsi and really living their life in the moment. Between 2012 and 2017, the Black Lives Matter movement became a really important global movement. And uh, I think Pepsi used their 2012 experience to create the 2017 Kendall Jenner campaign. And, Probably the 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 mistake, if you will call it a mistake, happened there, where they tried to replicate that experience in the context of Black Lives Matter movement. And I don't know to what extent Nicki Minaj's commercial, what kind of, you know, uh, memory customers had vis-a-vis process, while processing the Kendall Jenner commercial. But I think overall, it was probably poor thinking and or lack of understanding about the kind of reaction the commercial will lead to. Uh, to be more specific in terms of what could they have, could have done, if Kendall Jenner's involvement was greater, if there was greater diversity in the decision-making body, and in my opinion, most importantly, if the commercial had been thoroughly pre-tested before it was released, the debacle may have been prevented. But at the end of the day, you said at the end of the day, uh, and I know this is a harsh thing to say, but the responsibility rests solely with the company's leadership at the end of the day. Because leadership defines the culture, leadership defines lots of soft aspects of a company, how it operates, how it makes decisions, what kind of decision-making unit it puts together, and so on. And that leads to certain good or bad outcomes.
2: Professor Jane, thank you so much for joining us today uh, and and, and enlightening us with all of the behind the scenes uh, that we might not have known uh, previously.
0: Thank you for having me. Good luck. Happy New Year.
2: Happy New Year. And and for our (laughs) listeners, we are going to head over now to Patreon and discuss everything we've learned. So stay tuned.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye, Rebecca.
2: If you'd like to hear our post-interview discussion and final verdict, head over to Patreon and subscribe. Your support is greatly appreciated. Check out our show notes for a link or head over to patreon.com slash The Alarmist. And stay tuned because next week we are going to be revisiting an Alarmist classic, The Donner Party. The Alarmist. Powered by ACAST.